From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. Just six weeks after state lawmakers left Austin, they're back again for a special session called by Governor Greg Abbott. We'll dive into both what's on the agenda and what a special session is. Plus, former President Donald Trump is back in the news. On the heels of his trip to the Texas-Mexico border, he was in Dallas over the weekend to speak at a conservative conference. To talk about the special session, Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers will be joined by State Representative Justin Holland, a Republican from Rockwall, and University of Texas at Arlington political science professor Rebecca Dean. Then, we hear from the Dallas Morning News Washington Bureau Chief Todd Gilman about CPAC and other national headlines. Before we get started, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the Lone Star Politics Podcast. It helps us grow the show and helps others find it. Governor Greg Abbott laid out 11 priorities for the special session, which started last week. He said he would give legislators one issue at a time, only moving on to the next once a bill is passed. The 11 items on the agenda are bail reform, election integrity, border security, social media censorship, family violence prevention, youth sports, abortion-inducing drugs, 13th check, critical race theory, appropriations, and funding Article 10 of the state budget, which pays the legislative branch. The voting bill could be one of the first items lawmakers consider. Democratic House members killed one version of the bill at the end of the regular session in late May by walking out of the state capitol ahead of the midnight deadline. Representative Chris Turner of Arlington is the chair of the House Democratic Caucus and voiced his opposition to the bill last week. Texas, as you all know, already has the most restrictive voter laws in the entire United States of America. Texas already makes it too hard for people to vote particularly if you're disabled, particularly if you are a voter of color, particularly if you live in an urban area. It is wrong. House members could decide on the new bill as early as Tuesday. Representative Justin Holland is serving his third term in the House and represents the state's 33rd district, which includes all of Rockwall County and portions of Collin County. Here's the representative with Julian Gromer. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Julie. The House could decide on an election bill on Tuesday. Do you anticipate a compromise or will Republicans try to push through a bill similar to the one that led to a walkout by House Democrats? Well, Julie, we have a new version of the bill that's been filed and it'll be heard in a committee over this weekend. It is a different version of the bill. Uh, the, the draft that we've been reviewing over the weekend or over the week rather, uh, is a shorter version of the bill. And I think what we have here is um, a few less issues in one bill and then a, a few single shot uh, bills that you'll see uh, that get heard on uh, standalone issues as well. So maybe not such a comprehensive, expansive omnibus bill, but one that that maybe uh, can be debated out and, uh, and the, the merits of, of each of the uh, bills standing alone uh, would be heard that way. So, Representative, as you know, this has become a national hot-button issue. Is the proposed election reform legislation, which critics and Democrats contend is designed to suppress the votes of black and Hispanic residents, I know you disagree. Is it necessary, though, given that there were little to no credible claims of voter fraud in Texas elections in 2020? Well, Gromer, I think that what we're the the intent of this legislation is to make sure that 
the elections in Texas are uniform across the state, all the way from the local elections administrators all the way up through the Secretary of State. And the continuity between the rules and the way that we conduct elections would be uh, more um, uniform across the state. Uh, so I, you're right. I do not believe that it's a suppression bill. It's a security bill. People across the state want to make sure that their sacred right to vote is uh, is secure. And, and, and Representative, one last question on this issue. In the future, do you think lawmakers can get together on ways to make it easier and more convenient for Texans to vote? Um, you know, I represent House District 33, which is all of Rockwall County and portion of Collin County. Um, I can only speak for the folks that I represent. It's very easy to vote in Rockwall County and Collin County. There's uh, ample time and ample dates to vote. Uh, lots of voting locations, many close to where people work by law. It's easy to get uh, off work or go and vote. Um, I will tell you, Gromer, it's not something that I hear every day that it's hard to vote in House District 33. Um, I, I, I haven't heard, I just haven't heard that. So it's pretty easy to get out and cast a vote where I live. Where do you stand on the governor's veto of Article 10 in the budget that funds the legislature? Well, um, it, it's definitely something that uh, we need to take care of. Uh, I'm, I'm not the governor, and uh, he's definitely used his prerogative to, um, to, to make that choice. Uh, here shortly, I'll be um, headed into a, a meeting about, about that, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to get that behind us. Uh, our staffs are, are virtually, as you know, if you've been down here, they're the ones that make this place tick and uh, we need them and we got to be able to pay for them. Not everybody has the means to do so through their campaigns or whatnot. I feel like this issue is going to get resolved in the next 30 days. Uh, you know, Representative, should Republicans, though, and, and Democrats for that matter, but should Republicans also be concerned about uh, the governor's veto, uh, given questions about whether it violates the separation of powers outlined in the Texas Constitution, but also, you know, you're a separate branch, and, 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 and he's vetoing the funding of the body you represent. How do you feel about that? Uh, the way I feel about it is the governor of Texas thinks that there's unfinished business, and uh, he's a really smart guy. He was uh, on the Texas Supreme Court. He's an attorney. He was our attorney general. I feel very strongly that Governor Abbott vetted his decision prior to making it. And uh, it's the, the, uh, the system and the rules in which we're operating underneath. Uh, and uh, my job is to show up and vote on these bills and pass good legislation that works for Texans. Switching gears here, should there have been an item of the special session agenda relating to bolstering the state's power grid? There's been a lot of discussion about that. So um, that's something that we've talked about, obviously, since the storm in February. Uh, our energy resources and our state affairs committees have done tremendous work on reforming ERCOT and PUC, as well as the industry across all facets of the industry. Uh, it's going to take some time to implement that. The governor also made some directives uh, the day before we came down on that. Uh, I think that there's been a lot of reforms that just haven't been implemented or realized yet. And so um, I believe we did that work. We put in that work in the regular session and the governor's uh, uh, given that direction to the powers that be as well. And uh, we just need to let that play out. Um, I do not believe that uh, that it would have been, uh, that we could have done very much more than we did in the 140 day session. 
So you're comfortable right now where the power grid is in the state of Texas? I think that we need to maybe look at future generation capacities as well. Um, but like I said, nothing gets fixed on paper by just passing a law. It's got to take some time for the industry and the stakeholders to implement the changes that we made. Representative, you got 30 days, uh, at least 11 items that could be more on the agenda. Do you expect to get through it all? Could there be another special session? Um, you know, that's always a question in a special session. 11 items is a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and some of them uh, more than more than others are probably ranked in importance. I would think that um, we may not get through all of them. We, we, we might, but certainly there, will, there's, there should be some sort of a uh, determining factor by the governor on whether or not we did enough to not bring us back before we come back for redistricting. Um, I think that we're going to get the biggest items uh, that really, really need to be done uh, finished, and those are getting worked on as we speak. State Representative Justin Holland, thanks so much for joining us. We're glad we were able finally to have you on the show. Thank you, Julie and Gromer, and you guys have a great rest of your weekend. So now we know what will be on the agenda for lawmakers during the special session, but why is one necessary? Texas lawmakers meet for just 140 days every two years, so for anything that does not get done in those five months, the governor has the power to call lawmakers back to Austin. To break it down, here's UTA political science professor Rebecca Dean with Julian Cromer. Professor, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. And please, it's Rebecca. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, first and foremost, we have just started this special session. You know, for those who don't follow the legislature day by day, why exactly is a special session called? So because our legislature only meets every other year and because it meets for a limited number of months, they just often can't get everything done that they need to get done in, uh, in that amount of time. And it's the governor's discretion whether or not to call a special session. And so sometimes it's things that they couldn't for whatever reason get done during the regular session. And sometimes it's some political infighting and, um, and political machinations that call for a special session. And Rebecca, only the governor can call a special session, correct? It, it can't be called by lawmakers or anybody like that. The governor has to call it and set the agenda. And set the agenda, and that's super important. And so, you know, during the regular sessions, the governor, the lieutenant governor who runs the Senate, and then the speaker of the house, they work in, in coordination well, with the, the latter two really running the show, the, the leader of the house and the leader of the Senate. But it's the governor's turn during a special session. And so not only does he set the set when it happens, if it happens, how many times it happens, but then also the agenda and often the order in which the agenda items are taken up. It's interesting, too, because, you know, you often hear lawmakers say, well, we should have a special session on this. Well, they can say that all they want. But at the end of the day, it's up to the governor. That's exactly right. Now, now this special session is, is pretty interesting because in the backdrop, you have this whole situation where the governor actually defunded the legislature with a veto, uh, again, flexing some of his power. And uh, so it's an interesting backdrop. The, the lawmakers are going to have to take that up along with the other 10 other issues that the governor put forward. 
It was really interesting. He put that on the special session, which yeah. he didn't have to do. Now, for all practical purposes, it's helpful for the Republicans to have that back on the agenda because after all, because they control the legislature, we're really talking about the staff. We're talking yeah. about who work in the offices, um, who provide the food and the cleaning and kind of all the behind the scenes things that make any sort of organization run. And so, you know, those folks are, are working for the Republicans largely because they control both chambers. So it makes sense that he would put it back on the budget or pardon me, back on the session on the agenda. And he's got it at the top of the agenda. He has a couple items before it. I believe elections are before it and bail reform are before it. So essentially in order for that, it goes, and correct me if I'm wrong, it goes in the, in the order that he put the, he put it, correct? That's right. That's right. So basically he's saying get elections done and then we will get everybody paid. And this is really the opposite of what happened during the regular session. So during the regular yeah. session, for lots of complicated reasons that we can go into, um, election, um, what the conservatives would call election reform, was saved until the very, very end. And that's what allowed that, that time crunch, that right, right up against the deadline. That's what allowed the Democrats to stage the breaking of quorum, which allowed them to kill the bill during the regular session. So he's got that at the top end, which means that they've got to do that before they can do any of the other things that matter, like funding the legislature, funding the staff, but then also some of the meat and potatoes issues for the more conservative wing of the Republican Party. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's the, he tipped his hand in a way because uh, he's like, if you get elections and bail reform done, then you can take up the issue of, of your funding and then after that, we'll kind of see. And so uh, we may be faced with another special session or the governor could say, hey, okay, I got the, the two major things I wanted. So everything's fine. Yeah, and the rest of that, you know, down on down the list, um, let the other do that math on air. What is that nine issues on? Uh, right. Yeah. Um, you know, that's really uh, um, a non, um, a, a gift, if you will to the conservative wing of the Republican mm -hmm. Party, because after all, Governor Abbott is up for re-election. He already has two primary opponents who have announced, and they, they're trying to flank him to his right. And you've seen the governor over the last couple of months try to take some defensive steps to, um, to kind of counteract that. But, you know, he could very well, as you say, Bremer, he could very well just say, well, you know, conservatives, Republicans, my base, my constituents, I tried. I tried my best. But and then, you know, point the finger at whoever as a reason for it done. Except for my, you know, number four on there is getting, um, is the budget for the legislative staff. So do Democrats have any incentives to stay after number four? Well, I mean, it depends on what you mean by incentives, right? So first of all, the Democrats are not a monolith, right? So we've got both Democrats in the Senate, and Democrats in the House, which are slightly different animals. And then also they run the risk of, um, you know, call, calling out that, that Hail Mary too many times, right. so run the risk of losing some political capital if they, if they walk out too many times. I think that, um, you know, potentially for some um, moderate voters or perhaps some of the Democrats who come from more conservative districts, the notion of, you know, you're not doing your job might resonate among some voters. So um, I think, I think probably you wouldn't necessarily audio automatically see a walkout after the budget, but I think things get a little bit more complicated for the 
for the governor accomplishing his agenda. And logistically, it's easy to walk out for a few hours at the end of a session to do it multiple days and weeks, like in 2003, that's, that's a much difficult, much more difficult task. Yeah, yeah. And you really want to hold that out for the things that you care most it's about. Really important, right? Yeah. 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 So, Professor, uh, or Rebecca. Oh, sorry, Grover, I interrupted <laughs> nope, you. I just, before we get out of here, Rebecca, any thoughts? Trump's in Texas for, for, for CPAC, uh, you know, yeah. his, uh, his tour, I don't know what kind of tour you recall it, but uh, he's been doing rallies, he's been visible. What do you think? Well, and you know, you saw the governor um, uh, not only talking about the border wall and talking about building the border wall, um, but also in appearances with him. Um, you know, that in combination with the announcement that the governor's campaign just released in terms of the campaign finance money that he's been able to raise. Um, you know, what he's trying to do here is he's trying to appeal to the former president's base of support, which is still very, very strong in Texas. Turning our attention to the national stage, former President Donald Trump was in Dallas over the weekend for the Conservative Political Action Conference, better known as CPAC. It's his second trip to the Lone Star State in recent weeks following his visit to the border with Governor Greg Abbott. And in Washington, President Joe Biden continues to work on a bipartisan infrastructure deal. Todd Gilman is the Washington bureau chief for the Dallas Morning News. He joins Julian Gromer to discuss. All the way from Washington, D.C., Dallas Morning News bureau chief Todd Gilman joins us in the studio. It Todd. Is awesome to be with you. Oh, Welcome. it's so great. We've been so excited it's awesome about to this. Be anywhere. I know. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you. Former President Donald Trump again will speak at the CPEC convention in Dallas this afternoon. So what do you expect to hear from him? Well, I think more of this strip tease about running for uh, president again in 2024. Uh, he has really emerged from uh, from being a recluse down at Mar-a-Lago in the last several weeks more and more. He's done two rallies. Uh, he did a CPAC in Orlando in late February, which was the start of the, the reemergence. Uh, he loves to say things like, we're going to win the presidency for a third time. Get it, get it, because right. I already won last year. Um, and, you know, this is a kind of crowd that just eats that stuff up. So, you know, his, his agenda is to keep Republicans riled up and in, particularly, uh, in particular keep them loyal to him so that he remains in charge. Yeah, and, and he is in charge so far. I mean, in the, in the months after uh, Biden's uh, uh, election and inauguration, uh, is he setting himself up for a, a run for president or is it something else or do we even know now? Well, we don't know for sure. Uh, he, he told Sean Hannity during that town hall a couple of weeks ago down in the Rio Grande Valley that he has made up his mind, but he didn't say what the decision was as to whether he will run again for president. Uh, everyone in the Republican Party assumes that he is running for president, and those who want to run for president, like Governor Ron DeSantis of right. Florida, uh, have to act as if he's running for president because to defy Trump, to make any overt moves against him before they have all the money lined up, all the resources, all the support lined up, would uh, incur his wrath and would be deadly. So uh, he effectively is running and effectively has frozen the field. Wow. 
All right, so, well, staying with CPAC, actually, Texas Governor Greg Abbott isn't attending the convention, citing the special session as a reason. Now, he already has two primary challengers. Does he have a problem with the most conservative voters in the party? Well, and, and both of those challengers, who we know of already, will be on the stage at CPAC. Don Huffines, a former state senator from Dallas, and Alan, Alan West. West. Alan West, who yeah. just resigned after a year as Republican Party chairman. Uh, both of them are running against Abbott from the right, as you know a lot better than I do because right. you're covering the, these things. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure if he has a problem on the right. Uh, my understanding, I talked to Matt Schlapp, the chairman of the American Conservative Union, which holds CPAC, and he said, we invited Abbott. I talked to Abbott a few times. He's more than welcome here. We love him. Uh, I understand that he was getting sniped from the right before the last session and before he called this special session, but he really has done a lot to shore up support from the right. Uh, I, I doubt that he would have been booed if he had shown up at CPAC here in Dallas this weekend. I don't think that's why he stayed away. Uh, just, you know, a little trip down memory lane, Trump actually stayed away from CPAC in 2016 in the, in the heat of the primaries because conservative activists were, it was their last ditch effort to say, let's get a real conservative. And they weren't and sure now, about him, right? Right, they weren't yeah. sure about him. Now Trump is CPAC, he is the party. Uh, Abbott would have been welcomed here, probably half the crowd in Dallas at the CPAC is Texans. And uh, I, I haven't yet sensed any real animosity against him. And, and Trump, the former president, has endorsed Abbott, correct? Very That's important, right. very important yeah. point to make, Grummer. Um, and, and that was one of the things that he reinforced when he went down to the Rio Grande Valley two weeks ago. Trump and Abbott were together talking up the border wall and what a great thing it was. And Trump was pleased at, at, at Abbott taking up the mantle and using state money to continue the project. So uh, they're thick as thieves. And, and Alan West has said explicitly, and I think you're the one who quoted him saying right. this, that, uh, you know, sure, he would love to, to have Trump's endorsement, or he may not have even said that, but he's not running to be Trump's governor. He's running for the people of Texas. And, but, but it clearly is a deficit for anybody running against Abbott that Trump is in Abbott's camp. Well, um, let's turn to President Joe Biden. Has the intensity level, your workload, uh, uh, reduced any since the, <laughs> the transition? Because Trump had yeah. us all hopping. But no, I'm just joking. But it, it's, I, I bet it's a different. Pace. But let me ask you about yes. the infrastructure. We all we all still have PS, PTSD <laughs> right. from the Trump years of like, oh my God, someone's right. tweeting. But yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, uh, but uh, will the will the bipartisan agreement on infrastructure hold? Do you think? Uh, I uh, if I had to, if I had to really prognosticate, I would say no. Uh, not in its current form. I think it's going to evolve. It has evolved. Uh, Biden has backed off of some of his demands. And of course, we saw a couple of weeks ago, he, he did it in a very uh, ham-handed way to say, well, I still want the whole $1.9 trillion, including all the stuff that Mitch McConnell and all the Republicans are not going to go for, like uh, saying that child care is infrastructure. Um, he's also pared down the real core infrastructure by at least a third, the amount of money he's asking Congress for for broadband for all households and uh, getting rid of all lead pipes in everyone's homes and roads and bridges, all the stuff that everyone would really agree is core infrastructure. Um, but Mitch McConnell and most Republicans in Congress don't want to give Biden a win. Biden would happily take the win with or without them because to deliver an infrastructure package right. of 800 billion or a trillion or whatever it is, you know, a win is a win. 
Yeah. And uh, but in in the current form from the bipartisan group that uh, that got together and then presented it to Biden, that's a that's a starting point, and it's a better starting point than the total logjam of we want one one point nine trillion and we're not going to give you any. Uh, so it it's progress. What's the president's really biggest worry at this point? Um, well, if you ask the attendees at CPAC, it's dementia. Uh, we're hearing a lot of that. Congressman Ronnie Jackson, who is um, President Trump's uh, White House uh, physician and vouched for, for his cognitive state, says that Biden needs to take a battery of cognitive tests because he's got dementia. Um, in the real world, President Biden's risks are uh, uh, hacking from the Russians, uh, these cyber attacks, that it's very difficult to deter Putin from doing any of these bad acts. Uh, Another economic meltdown, certainly a resurgence of the pandemic, you know, round three, four, or five, whatever it is, the Delta variant, if that were to overtake the vaccines that we all have, which allows us to be in proximity, uh, that would have a devastating political effect because of, of having a devastating economic effect. Now, now, Todd, you're back in your old stomping ground. You reported out of Dallas for many years. You, uh, do you... Uh, are you eating a lot of Mexican food? I know you're loading up. <laughs> Every time you come here, or in Texas, it's like, where are we going to dinner time? Oh, well, I'm having Mexican. I, I had some killer barbecue the first night I was ah. here. I am definitely loading up on Tex-Mex. I, I didn't realize you were a lawyer and a prosecutor. <laughs> that you, you only ask questions you know the answer to. You know darn well I'm going to be. I know. He I knows know. this he knows. because knows. we're all going for yes. Mexican. And I would just like to say I'm very excited about that because if you all remember the first time I sat down at the table with you in 2016, I remember it like it was yesterday at the Democratic convention in Philly, I'm like, you know, I finally was a political reporter and I was all excited and I wanted to be in with the Dallas Morning News guys. Yeah. So I sit down at the table with you. And what happens when I sit down? Someone puts up their arm and says, check, please. Ah. <laughs> so I'm excited I get to be with you guys. Uh, well, we're not as young as we used to be. So, yeah. <laughs> Thanks to State Representative Justin Holland, Professor Rebecca Dean and Todd Gilman for joining us this week. We're taking the week off from the podcast space next week, but make sure to check out NBCDFW.com and our streaming platforms for new Lone Star Politics video. We'll talk to you here in a couple weeks.